You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. And it is tech fan number one or 220, almost at 120 there, David. No, don't don't short sh- sh- uh, don't short changes a hundred shows. No, no, those are important shows. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure. Podcasting goals. Somewhere along the line, there was something a nugget of something in there. Yeah. Uh, so aren't you excited? I mean, Windows 10 is out. It's it's so much better with privacy. Aren't, isn't this just exciting for you? I'm thrilled. Yeah, absolutely thrilled. I'm still struggling to get Windows 10 installed on all the machines I want to get it installed on. Really? Um, yeah, uh, and you do have. Yeah, I mean, I'm I am aware because uh, I keep an eye on the tech press that if you just accept the express settings in Windows 10, there's an awful lot of stuff that goes back to Microsoft. You know, and it has Cortana in there, and Cortana is kind of a Google Now style uh, search engine. Um, and there's all sorts of other things as well it's sending back there. Now, if you know what you're doing, you hit advanced settings when you first install Windows 10, you turn everything off, and life is good. Um, but there have been stories coming out um, this week that apparently, despite that, you know what, you always get a guy. You always get a guy who says, right, well, I don't believe what they've told me, so I'm going to put a network sniffer on here and see what's going on. Oh, look, I can see traffic going back to Microsoft. They, oh, they must be doing something terrible to me. Um, all, all operating systems talk to somebody all the time. I'm, I'm not sure that this is too much of a big deal um, because Microsoft is obviously getting telemetry from machines and that sort of thing. I, I, what they're not doing is kind of using it to drive their ad business, which is what other companies do. Yeah, so, I mean, um, I understand some people are such privacy hawks that uh, if if I didn't specifically tell my machine to communicate with someone, it should not do that ever, ever, and ever, which is great. I'm, I'm glad you picked up that philosophy in 1987, but it doesn't really work <laughs> in 2015. And to make a lot of these operating systems better for everybody, it's going to send some information. Um for instance, when your Mac crashes or an app crashes, something pops up and says, would you like to send this report to Apple? Uh, I don't know how many people, Apple's never really divulged this, I don't know how many people say yes or no to that. I always say yes, simply because I figure somebody's going to be looking at this data, see what happened, and in a future version of the OS, or maybe they share it with the developer themselves, they let them know, hey, this is going on. People's computer is crashing at this time when this happens. So let's, you know, let's fix this. So. Yeah. I, I Look, I, unless you can be sure, and I'm, ta- I'm going to talk about generics here. I'm not going to talk about Windows 10 specifically because I, I firmly believe this applies to pretty much every, every device we have on the Internet nowadays. Yeah, if it connects okay. to the Internet. So, yeah, if it gets next to the internet, then it's going to be talking to all sorts of people all of the time, and you will not get a, a checkbox for every single one saying, don't do this. Uh, a Mac is talking to Apple all the time, it's checking iTunes, it's checking the App Store, it's checking for updates. Um, the manufacturers will often build in particular technologies that they host to give their users a better experience. Google has, for instance, its own DNS servers. So I'm sure if you pick up a Chromebook or something like that, even if you said, I never want to use it online except to just browse the web, 
um, it would use Google's DNS servers. Now, you could build a privacy argument that says, well, if Google has a DNS server, that knows what um, websites I'm browsing for because the DNS queries give it a track record. And if they can identify that to my machine, then Google knows where I'm going. It's like, hey, your ISP knows that anyway. Yep. <laughs> there are lots of people who know lots of things about what we do online. Um, I'm afraid to say it, and this has been a principle of security for years. I remember back in the Windows NT days, the U.S. Department of Defense had a series of security levels and guidelines for uh, computers used in the military. Uh, and effectively, one of the guidelines said, starting point, if you want absolute 100% um, hack-proof security, reach around the back of the computer and disconnect the network cable. Yep, that's the um, only way. And that was... That's, that's a perfectly sound security principle. It's not very pragmatic because obviously we want to be able to do things with these computers connected together. But that is unfortunately the only way. So I think there has to be a balance here between in information and uh, transparency and the ability to turn off as much as you can, together with the recognition that if you're on the internet, you know what, there's lots of people out there who can find lots of things about you and uh, you, it's it's infeasible to explicitly allow everybody to uh, give you informed consent, unfortunately. And, and I don't think Microsoft, in this particular case, which is kind of what the Ars Technical, Technica article was kind of alluding to, like this is some big kind of a privacy concern that most people don't know about. It was a little bit heavy-handed in that, I think. Um, I don't think Microsoft is inherently doing anything wrong here. You know, I didn't see anything in this article that raised my cackles at all. I thought, well, yeah, yeah that's that's kind of what the... Look, I, I get that I, I would like to be informed on stuff like this, but I, I just don't see the manufacturers ever really doing that. I mean, what are they going to do, write white papers on every bit of information that's being sent from your computer? That, that's well, you not know practical. what, it's probably... It's- it's probably all there in the EULA anyway, but nobody ever reads the EULA. That's if true. they documented it all in white papers and everything, only security researchers would ever read it. Most people just want to get on with their day. And most people accept, that we've talked about this a few times on the show, accept the compromise of I'm getting services uh, at relatively low cost, often well below what the, co- what the cost of what the services are to develop. And let's face it, Windows 10 at the moment is a free operating system. Absolutely. The trade-off of, the trade-off of that is that the manufacturer will, will have some sort of mechanisms for gathering information from me to do various different things. What really, I mean, personally, what upsets me in the privacy stakes is when the data I use is used for things that I've never aware that I've even considered to be asked for. So, for instance, as as we've talked about many times, I'm reluctant to use Google services nowadays, and I don't use Facebook because the reason the reason being, I know that if I put data into those systems, the data will be used for for different things than just giving me the free service, either now or maybe in the future. I don't think that's Microsoft game here, so maybe it's maybe. Maybe that makes me more comfortable. But if anybody out there listening to this says, well, well, you're a complete hypocrite, that's that's fine. Get in touch with us and let's have that discussion. I, I actually think there's a difference. But, um, you know, that's kind of where I stand on it, really. I think as long as you're aware that the information is being exchanged, and let's face it, we all knew that the government was capable of tracking our phone calls and this sort of thing uh, all the time. What upset people is when they realize that they're actually doing it on a mass scale or a regular basis yep. for no good reason. 
It yeah. wasn't the capability, it was the what was done with the capability. And right. I think it that's, was that's the defining difference here. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the difference between manslaughter and murder. Intent. Yeah. I didn't mean yeah. to, to run these people over. It's manslaughter. It was truly an accident. Or I steered my car up on the sidewalk, although if it's in my area, it's driving down the freaking street because that's where people tend to walk here. Um, yeah. And I saw them and I aimed at them. Well, then it's murder. Yeah. It's intent. Yeah. And your position is Microsoft's intent isn't to gather this information to sell you to sell to advertisers to target you. It's to make their products better. And Google is targeting you to sell your information and whatever they can learn about you, glean from you from using these free services to sell targeted advertising. Yeah. I don't disagree with this. Unfortunately, I've made that compromise, and I don't care. Well, you know what? Look, I'm, you're talking to somebody here who, despite my stance on Google, picked up a Chromebook this week because mm. I saw it. It was going cheap. I thought, I want to try this out. So I have a Chromebook. I, I'm signing in with a Google account. I'm not necessarily using all of Google services on it, but uh, you know, I'm using effectively a wait, what some people might call a Google design tracking laptop. Yep, so, I would agree with that. My daughter, when know. we had one that I was testing that I reviewed here on TechFan uh, months ago, actually it's been over a year ago at this point, I think, uh, the HP Chromebook, my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter loved it. She wants another one. Yeah, that's the one I picked up, the 11-inch yep. one, and it's really, really nice. Well, we had the 14-inch um, uh, one. Right, okay. And in fact, yep. her, <laughs> it, her MacBook... Uh, what is that sound? I mean, it's really loud. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's the uh, it's wet here. There's people driving past. Ah, okay. Let me uh, let me close this window a bit. Yeah, because I'm falling out of it. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't do that. You've already broken your back yeah. once, David. Let's not do that again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So her MacBook stopped working. And it looks like it's the screen. Now, I don't know if... Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure what it is, to be honest. But it's a, you know, 2007 or 8 MacBook, white one. We've yeah. got three of these machines. Technically, one, two, three, four... We've got four or five of these machines in this house. Only one of them works, my wife's. The other four, none of them work. Uh, no, I take that back. Cole has one that works too that we picked up from Chad. Yeah. So I've got three of them and none of them work, but they all have something wrong that's, well, Brittany's real old one, the screen stopped working. It looks all weird and you can only see a quarter of the screen. So that I think is probably a chip in there somewhere, but you know, it's so old, I'm not going to fix it. So Brooke's screen dies. It's not working. I can hear it booting up. I pulled the hard drive and checked that, and the hard drive is fine. So it's definitely the screen. With my wife's computer, the screen worked, uh, but you couldn't click things half the time, and it didn't connect to the network correctly. So what I want to do is swap the screen from my wife's that... I'm sorry, swap the hard drive from Brooks into my wife's and replace the keyboard because her keyboard wasn't working. So right. I want to take from Brooks the keyboard, the whole top of the computer, and the hard drive and transplant it onto my wife's. 
I've been wanting to do this for a couple of weeks now, but Brooke has to do something, this ch- certain chore in the house before I do it. And she hasn't done this chore. So I haven't right. swapped this out. She doesn't really care that her laptop gets fixed, I don't think. Because she really wants a Chromebook. She liked the Chromebook better. Yeah. And she's yeah. doing almost everything now on one of my old iPhones, uh, iPhone 4S mm-hmm. that she uses all the time. She watches her YouTube videos on there. Um, she plays some games. That's what she uses. So I'm in this position of wanting to fix something for her, but she doesn't care. And yeah. as a Mac person, I'm like, yeah, but this MacBook is a lot better than the Chromebook. But you know what, David? For what she wants to do with it, it's really not better. In fact, it's worse. Because the Chromebook yeah. just and works, the, and the MacBook doesn't always well, work that, on yeah. some sites. I I found, uh, that's one of the things that, that I found with the Chromebook, is I, I, you know, I appreciate the attraction of it now, having used it. Because it's a very um, iPad, iPhone-like experience. You know, yep. you, you you boot the thing up, uh, you log into it, it, it connects straight to the network. Then if you want to do something on it, you click on an app, and then there's a web store in there, and you can download all these different apps that do different things. And, yeah, a lot of them are just kind of links to things that are running online. Yep. Um, but the point is, from the way the user, a particular non-technical user, I, am, I imagine, uses it, they don't care about what's where. All they care is about getting their stuff done, and it's a very simple way of getting their stuff done. There's very little configurations, very little things to mess around with. There's conceptually, it, it has that same kind of thing the iPad has going for it, where you, you know, the, the documents you want to use appear to live inside your apps, so you don't have to worry about file systems and folders or anything unless you want to. And and I I found from you know, over the years dealing with people who aren't particularly computer literate, that that's one of the things that really confuses them is they don't understand where their data is or what it, what it looks like. Or, you know, they don't know the difference between a doc file and an XLS file or a, a PowerPoint presentation or a photo. I mean, remember we used to have that thing where people would email photos to each other and they didn't realize how big they were because they just dragged them in there and send them off. And then you were on a dial-up connection and somebody would send you a four megabyte photo and it would take 20 minutes to download because people didn't realize all of that is kind of stripped away by by chrome os and and i can really see why people kind of like it yes you and i both appreciate that these machines are very low powered have very low amounts of storage and are very dependent on that on that network connection to work properly but most people kind of all that stuff is 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 not interesting to them and they've always got a net connection anyway so i can really see the attraction yeah yeah especially for a 12 year old that uses uh, the Chrome, or I'm sorry, the, the Google apps at school, that's what she uses. Uh, all of her exactly. homework is done that way. Uh, she's, well, last year, I'm sure she'll do it this year, too. She was part of the school newspaper. That was all done through Google apps. Why does she need a full-blown laptop when she's not yeah. doing anything with it that she can't do with a Chromebook? That Let's be honest, costs $200. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so I really see the attraction um now of course you are making that trade-off then you are giving google a lot of information you're living inside their ecosystem but if you're getting all of that um if you're getting all of that those features as part of that i can understand why people would kind of go well i don't care about i don't care about my privacy i don't care if google reads me email the problem i have really with with kind of the the advertising related privacy tracking is it, it good 
you know, how, how many times, how many times have you kind of searched something on Google? And then for the next few days, it's popping up in your ads all the time around everything you're reading. And this this could be something you either you you think oh, come on Google, you should know that I went to Amazon and bought that thing. Amazon knows that I went to Amazon and bought that thing. Why are you still showing me ads for it? You know, yeah, this I is see it every day. I, I see it today, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and you know, it's not just they Google either. Just... It's 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 Facebook. I see uh, if I jump on Facebook after I visited Amazon, it's the products I was just looking at or related products. It's like, okay, so you have all this information about me. You can presumably you can access where I go, what I do, how long I spend on a page. So you could, you should be able to tell if these algorithms are as smart as they're meant to be, that I'm researching something. So why are you showing me just ads for the things I just looked at? Why aren't you showing me ads for the alternates of the things I looked at? Yeah. That's more, that seems to me just, as a as a muggle rather than kind of one of these creative ad gurus that seems to me to be a more intelligent use of targeted ads is okay so he's looking at uh, colgate electric toothbrush let's show him the uh, the brawn electric toothbrush because maybe he's not considered one of those uh, but to me that that seems to have more inherent value and instead we give up all this information and what do we get we get advertised to the things we've already looked at or the things we've already bought yep or, the, or alternative, you seem to either get that, or you get the, or you get the alternative, which is you get advertised things that you have absolutely no interest into, and really look a little bit sketchy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you're seems right. to be no middle ground. No, you're absolutely right. They're, they've been doing, and I've been saying this for a long time. Advertising online has been, they've been doing it wrong since day one. They keep trying to use the philosophies in marketing that worked in magazines, television, billboards, newspapers, and applying the same thing online without taking into consideration that this new technology really demands a new way of thinking. But nobody seems to be really be embracing that. Google has come the closest, and I think they've kind of failed it. Look, and here's the thing, David. Advertising online does not work for me. They've, I've never what? clicked an ad on any website and bought something. It's never, ever happened. And I could say that with 100% conviction. Mm-hmm. It's never happened. Because yeah. I know what I want to buy be, before I even jump online. Or I do the research of printers because I want a printer with inexpensive replacement ink. So I'll jump online, I'll do my Google search, I'll find reviews, and then I go to Amazon or wherever um, and make my purchase. It's never because I'm on Facebook and, oh, look at that ad over there. Oh, I forgot I was looking at that three days ago on Amazon. I'm going to click that banner and then go buy it now. It's never happened. Never. No. Uh, and and also as well, why I don't what I don't understand is why advertising on the web is is even it, because of the whole kind of targeting canard. It, it there's, there's no generic advertising. Why am I not being advertised by you know for fragrances and for the kind of stuff we oh, get you do. with on the TV? You, you do. You absolutely do. I, well, I don't see those ads on. Sure, that. you do. If you go to places like The Verge and stuff, you'll see ads at the top for uh, a Ford truck or. A Samsung Galaxy something. That's not targeted advertising. That's 
played paid placement on that page. So those are well, the generic ads that you're speaking to. If that's the case, not working because I'm not aware I'm seeing those ads. Well, half of them are a video that pops up on your screen that you immediately close. And again, that's because they're doing it incorrectly. When an online publication will allow an advertising company to cover their content, forcing the user to close something, you've done a disservice to that advertiser and to your reader, and you've shown you have no respect for your publication and your your talent that's creating this content. Because it, it just annoys people, and advertising isn't supposed to annoy people. That's not the purpose well, yeah, of it. But, yeah, but I heard I heard you talking on OWC Radio about uh, interstitials and sidebar things on top of on top of uh, creative content. You know, whether you were talking to that guy who who does videos, and you said he's you said sometimes the the banners the networks put up actually blocks off stuff he's put into graphics he's put into his program that that giving useful information to the viewer. And you were saying, well, how, how rude is that? How that's exactly what I just said. It's, 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 yeah, it's they're, yeah, they're it's, advertising. They're 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 disrespecting their own content, and they, right. I, so I will never understand it's, it's, that. Yeah, it's not just the web. It's not just the web. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, but see, yeah. they took these kind of things from the web. You never saw yeah. this kind of crap on TV until the web really exploded, and these kind of pop up videos happened on web pages. There wasn't a huge outcry. There was, but nobody heard it. And so they thought, we'll just take this to the television, too. And according to the person I was interviewing, they're requesting up to 50% of the screen now. 50% of the screen so they could put some kind of a thing up there. Hey, coming up next. Or they'll shrink the screen during the credits. You know, the people who actually created this thing, who's proud to see their name up on the screen. It's now three inches on your screen while your 50-inch TV is showing ads for the next show yeah or the brawn electric yeah, toothbrush I, I i completely agree I, I think it's crazy and i'm always reminded of a, a line that um that came out of the the first jurassic park movie you know um the character in malcolm played by jeff goldblum yeah he's the uh, the chaos scientist who's invited to view jurassic park and one of the things he says when he finds out what they've been doing there he says you you people you spent so much time thinking about what you could do, you never thought about whether you should do it. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is the advertising online. Um, and, you know, and, and there's this whole business now because Apple is, Apple is starting to put, uh, is talking about putting an ad blocker in iOS 9. Um, and, and really, uh, pop-up advertising on iOS is, it, I, I don't blame them for doing it. It's getting out of control because you've got a much smaller screen area and those sorts of things, which always used to be relatively, uh, the mobile platforms used to be relatively free of that sort of rubbish, have started to come up now. And I've been to pages where I've had pop-ups, I've had content that I can't move out of the way. Um, I've had uh, the things where you go to a page and immediately it launches the app store and, and, and tries to get you to download an app and all that stuff. I don't blame Apple for trying to do that. And how does the industry respond to that? They turn around with a, a, a negative campaign saying that ad blockers is taking money away from people yep. rather than recognizing that people want ad blockers because their business is so crummy. Yeah. It's, it goes back to what I said. It needs a new way of, of doing business. And 
nobody is working on that from what I've seen. Nobody. And I follow all the oh. tech press stuff. I follow yeah. a lot of marketing websites because that's kind of my job now for OWC. Yeah. You know, we, we go to events and, and put on a show. We have online advertising through Google. Um, for all intents and purposes, OWC Radio is an infomercial because it's only got one sponsor. Now, I don't sit there and talk about OWC products hardly ever on that show because I don't need yeah. to. It's a different type of advertising. It's the type that, hey, I'm getting all this content. It's being provided by this company, but I like the content, so it's not that big of a deal. And, in fact, it's less advertising yeah. than you hear on a lot of other shows, although a yeah. lot more than you and, hear and, on this show. <laughs> and Exactly. But yeah, but, yeah, but that's the sort of thing where where the person who's interested in the product and the company chooses to participate. Yeah. It's not really forced upon them. No, and, um, and, 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 it's, it's, and we don't hide it either. I mean, it's in the name, no. OWC Radio. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, that's, you know, that's the difference. I, the other thing as well is it seems to me that the online advertising industry has used technology to instead of, they talk about this targeted advertising, it seems to me what they really have done is they've used technology to remove as many people from the process as possible to make their operations cheaper, yeah. which is why you can go to a technical website and you, at the bottom of the page you'll see a, a whole list of, of things that have come from an ad network and you think, what the hell are these guys advertising this for? You know, stuff like, or the, you know, that big bunch of things you get at the bottom of many web pages now which you know 10 10 celebrities who had plastic surgery and right five five ways that that uh the drug companies are, are selling you this and that and you look at it and you think what is this doing on this page how can this possibly be targeted to me reading a tech site why am i not getting tech stuff down here and it's because basically the ad networks don't care and and there's no curation there's no intelligence to it it's just an algorithm that has just served up that junk yep Yep, it's it's terrible, and it's. I don't want to say it's ruining the internet because I don't want to be that presumptuous, but it sure is taking away the enjoyment sometimes. It yeah, really does. It's it's kind of it's kind of like what TSA has done to flying. You know, it's something that you have to put up with because it's there, and yet everybody universally hates it and wishes it would go away. Yeah, and you know the, the <laughs> whole advertising thing isn't just the web; it's. And Apple really needs to do something about this as well. There was a game I was playing, and I was quite enjoying it. Within, once the game actually launched, within five to seven seconds after it was up and running, an ad would pop up. But it was always an ad for the company who made the game. Now, this was a, a war type of game, so... They were always yeah. kind of cute with us. They'd say, hey, your troops are would love a break. How about trying this game? And then you could just close yeah. it. I got used to just, I, I launch the game, I wait for a second, I see that pop up, and I just close it, right? Yeah. Now, on top of that, I'm getting another ad. So I have to close that one. Then yeah. I have to close this one. I, it got so annoying, I just deleted the app. It's like, you know yeah. what? I know you made this game to make money. Everybody does. But the way you're going about it is you've ruined the experience of this app that you spent all this time to make. That was a good app for in every other respect. I was enjoying it. But you ruined it for me. You haven't figured out how to make money doing this without annoying me. Which means mm -hmm. you probably shouldn't be in business. Or spend more money and time 
to come up with other ways of advertising your own wares that's not going to detract from the gameplay itself. Yeah. So, I don't know. Anyways, yeah, Windows yeah. 10, definitely sending information. I don't see a, a huge deal uh, when it comes to this. It's not like Windows has opened it up for hardware manufacturers to shovel crapware at people, David. Oh, oh, oh wait a minute. They have. Wait a minute. Yeah, so the first go. thing I can I- give, I can I could get Microsoft off the hook on the first thing. Yeah. I can't on this one. So, no, and you know what? This is this is also uh, this is a repeat offender because this is Lenovo, who caused a bit of a fuss uh, some time ago, a few months back, where it turned out they were using all sorts of shady practices. I think they were using a um, an installer that that actually was putting effectively malware onto your PC as a rootkit. Uh, and there was a big fuss about it, and Lenovo apologized. We won't do this again. We've withdrawn this product. So it turns out what they've been using is a, a feature in Windows that, that came in um, back in Windows 8, I believe, that was designed to... Basically, what it does is it allows um, particular um, parts of the system to be replaced from firmware. Um, and this is this is meant to be an anti-theft feature from Microsoft. Yep. The idea would be that that if, if you had, I don't know, something that, that, that ran a password or uh, wants to verify your identity before the machine booted up, this would this would be kind of burned in the firmware. So even if you wiped the drive or replaced the drive uh, and then restarted the machine, this would immediately put it back on the drive again and make it run so that you couldn't, you couldn't get past it. So what Lenovo have done is they've been using it to install... Uh, persistent crapware onto onto the machines. So basically, it puts uh, Lenovo. And now Lenovo's. I've got to admit, from having played with several manufacturing machines, Lenovo over the past few years has become particularly egregious with their own branded stuff. You buy a, la- a Lenovo laptop, and it has its own power manager, its own network manager, or kind of an update manager, a whole load of other things that are meant to kind of help you use the computer better. It's all branded Lenovo. It all goes back to Lenovo servers, and, and it's a pig to get get rid of. To be honest, it really kind of gets in the way, and it's 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 all badly written. It's very slow, uh, and basically what they've been doing is using this feature to make sure that those types of software uh, appear on Lenovo notebooks, even if you try and do a clean install from them. Yep. Um, so I think Microsoft does hold some responsibility here because not only did they create this feature um, and they presumably created it with good intentions as an anti-theft feature, but what they've not been doing is, is basically policing the manufacturers who are buying Windows and are using this stuff. It would have been very easy for them to do some sort of certificate based system that means that they could do a little bit of verification of as to what this system, what this uh, procedure was being used for, and instead they've just kind of, uh, you know, just let it go, and and here we are with Lenovo laptops running crap. But let's be honest, Microsoft traditionally, going way way back, really doesn't have a problem with crapware as a clean install in their operating system. Well, that, I, I, they're, they're a little bit um, two-headed about this, to be honest. I think they recognize that their customers don't like it. They've had this signature program going for a few years where you can buy a, a PC direct from them and it has it all the crapware removed. Um, and if you look at 
uh, how Windows 10 is is deployed. I mean, it's it's very very easy to deploy a clean install of Windows 10 without anything from the manufacturer on it. So um, they, they and also as well, they they did the Surface. Uh, the Surface line of products was really designed to show the uh, PC market that this is our vision of of how a Microsoft PC should be, not with all this stuff on it. The problem is, is the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, they don't really care. In a lot of cases, in fact, in in some cases, you have to pay them to make sure you don't get that stuff on there. It's their business model. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it makes it make the margins are apparently so thin on these machines that it, it's it's putting you know a, a default antivirus program on there with a subscription option uh, and then their own stuff that's going to drive traffic to their websites and keep you engaged with them as a customer is apparently lucrative enough for them that they're not really want to get away from it. Um, and uh, but the problem is is. Uh, look, that is. Yeah, I, I take the view that when you're buying a PC, you kind of know what you're getting into with that. Uh, and as long as you've got the option of doing a clean install and wiping it all away, I kind of say, well, okay, that if, if that subsidises their business model to a degree, fair enough. The problem with this is that this is this is effectively going a step beyond that, and it kind of relates back to how we started the show. This isn't. You know, we're going back to informed consent here. We're basically the manufacturer is saying it doesn't matter what you do. We're going to find a way to get our stuff in front of you, and you can spend a lot of time and effort trying to clean your system up. And guess what? We've got hooks in the system anyway. Yep. And and I, I don't believe when you're buying a computer it should be like that Mm-mm. because you are paying money for a product. You are not. They give you the computer for free then fine. If you're buying a Chromebook at $199, then you kind of know what you're getting. Yeah, but if you go and spending $800 on a Lenovo laptop, I think you should have the right to wipe it and get rid of the Lenovo software without them hooking into the system and bringing it back. I think I think Microsoft should police it to the point where they tell their partners, if you do this, we will not sell you Windows to install on your computers for, yeah, but then, for a, a set yeah. period of time. I mean, yeah, but Microsoft, let's face it, Microsoft is not going to turn around to Lenovo and say we're not going to let you sell Windows because they, they're desperately worried that Lenovo will turn around and say, fine, um, let's go make some nice Chromebooks. Uh, we don't need Windows anymore. They, yeah, you but know, they, they do. They, they do need. That's the, that's the only thing yeah, selling Lenovo. But that's the tension they face. Yep. And, um, you know, they're, they're obviously, they're always worried that. Windows won't be the big thing anymore, and um, they will lose market share to Google or to Linux or to Mac or something else. So um, I, I tell you what, this sort of stuff is just another thing to for me to allows me to say to people, hey, well, we're going to get a Windows machine. Why don't you get a Mac? It's one of the reasons <laughs> historically that I've always steered people towards the Mac. All things being equal, I'm still a firm believer of use yeah. the right tools that work for you. But if you're not Already heavily invested in the Wintel world. Look at MacTel because <laughs> yeah. it's all Intel now. Yeah, uh, that's that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's I, most I mean, likely be a better honest. solution. Lenovo for a long time has been seen as the premier business laptop. Yep. Um, this sort of stuff is really starting to harm them now, I that, agree. and other things as well. We have probably 150 Lenovo T4 two. T431S laptops in my organization. Um, they are coming up to about three years old now. And the number of keyboards we're replacing the mach- these machines now is not funny. 
And keyboards is what Lenovo is meant to be, you know, that's meant to be the, the premier feature of a Lenovo laptop is a great keyboard. They're failing. And they're failing in huge numbers. We've, we've literally replaced 70 or 80 keyboards in the last six months. Yeah. Speaking um, of keyboards, and, and, uh, <laughs> I, I'm still using this uh, Apple Extended 2 keyboard that you sent. Yeah, yeah. still like it. You know, I had yeah, Steve I Sandy on uh, the last OWC radio, the one that just uh, went live this week. And we just geeked out. It wasn't an interview show. It was it was geeking out. And we started talking about it a little bit. I, I, I really love this keyboard. It, You know, I said on this show, since we started TechFan, that I really like the IBM Model M. That was my keyboard. Mm-hmm. I've changed. Yeah. If I have a choice between an Apple Extended 2 or an IBM Model M, I'm going with the Apple Extended 2. I, I really am enjoying this keyboard more than I thought I was going to. I, I really, I think it's, in my opinion right now, it's the best keyboard. Will that change again? Who knows? I don't know. But I love it, David. Thank you very much for sending this. And thanks to Gaz and for uh, yeah. for for bringing my, me and my transatlantic keyboard. But I got to say, though, David, I probably will pick up a U.S. version yeah. at some point. <laughs> The the return key, the upside down yeah, key, I, is driving me crazy. Um, yeah, I can understand that if you're not used to it. I often uh, i've 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 had a lot of US laptops that I've sold over here, and a couple of times I get complaints from people who have sold them to say, "Oh, you didn't mention it had an American keyboard on it." I'm I can't, I you know, why is the why is the return key so small? So yeah, <laughs> it's a really odd thing that that it kind of drives people mad. But it's one of those things that go. it's a personal preference. I, I'm used to this one now. But I, th- I think I still would prefer a, a U.S. layout because I'm just used to it more. Uh, let's take a quick mm-hmm. break, David, and we're not going to an ad like we usually do. I do um, want to talk about the Stoplight Network. Of course, we are part of the Stoplight Network. All the Stoplight Network really is is a collection of different podcasts that promote other podcasts in the network. It's designed for you, the listener, to learn about other shows that maybe you'd be interested in. If you like this show, well, here's some other shows that you might be interested in. Uh, went live earlier today as we record this was the new version of the Three Geeky Ladies. It's called the Tech Potluck episode number 66. Uh, the ladies talk a little about of this, a little about of that, in a marathon episode. So if you're interested in tech and you want to hear the female speak about it, <laughs> of the human species, uh, great show, great uh, hosts, I really like listening to the Three Geeky Ladies. Um, it, it's a clever show, David, and I hope people uh, will give it a listen because it's definitely worth your time. Also, up on the Stoplight website, the Stoplight Network website is My Mac Podcast Five Sixty Nine. Fixing iTunes, well, sorta. Oh, by the way, David, that reminds me, I'm missing music in my iTunes library. What you've had? You've had it disappear with Apple Apple Music. Yep. yep. Oh dear. I've got backup, so I'm you're... fine. I just went to my yeah. my carbon copy cleaner, ca- carbon copy cloner backup drive, and just pulled them back over. But mm-hmm. I've turned off Apple Music on my on my uh, Mac. It's it's turned off. Yeah, you know, this is, in fact, they just did a, an update today to iOS and, and iTunes to try and fix some of these problems. But no, man, it's 
it's, it's pretty much the worst of all worlds, really. I, and I can't, I can't help feeling that maybe, perhaps, you know, with hindsight is a wonderful thing, but maybe in hindsight, what they should have done is just launch the streaming service as a separate app rather than trying to shoehorn it into iTunes. That's exactly what they should have done. They, they, yeah. Apple, don't screw around with my files. It's one yeah. thing to to push out a free album from U two to everyone. It's quite another another to start accidentally deleting my crap that I paid yeah. for, and a lot of my music is showing that it's in the cloud and it's not on my computer, which also means they deleted it from my hard drive. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Uh, it's, it's, it is not good. You know, we've talked about Plex, and I use Plex for my uh, my movies and my TV shows, streaming, within the house here. If someone came mm-hmm. up with a way for me to use another app for music, and that I could still sync it to my iOS devices, I think I would jump on it. Because I'm yeah. so disenchanted with iTunes and and the colossal screw up that Apple has on their hands of their own making. I I, I, can't, yeah. I can't get past how could they have screwed this up so completely without it being on purpose. I, I they I, I, yeah, I couldn't I, imagine. Well, I, I think I think the problem is is that the product never had proper focus. It didn't have a clear definition of what it wanted to be. And so they shoehorned it all in on top of iTunes. They shoehorned it all on top of, of uh, the music app in the iOS devices. And, and it doesn't have a clear focus on what it, what it wants to be. And consequently, everything it does, it does badly. Um, and, uh, you know, it's... Well, I mean, it's a perfect storm of problems for Apple because this has, this has cloud... This, this brings up their, you know, their, often their failure to, to implement cloud services well, together with their failure to often implement software service as well uh into it into something that that is still a, a, a real mess and um look i these, these are the sort of things that concern people like you and me with large music libraries and an awareness of what's going on i'm sure that 95 percent of the people who use apple music either don't have these problems or don't notice if they have these problems i and, think that's what it is um, i think most people don't notice yeah because i didn't even notice yeah. at first I went looking for a few things, and I started seeing the the cloud icon. I thought, what What do you mean in the cloud? So I started downloading it, and then I did a a sort of the little cloud icon, and I found hundreds of songs that weren't on my machine anymore. And then I went to a couple albums, and there was songs missing. Not the cloud thing, just they were completely gone. Yeah. Now, I think part of this is, and again, it goes this lack of focus, iTunes Match still exists as a thing. Yep. Uh, and and I, t- I, I believe I mentioned when I first signed up for Apple Music, and look, I, I really don't want to have to rag on Apple Music yet. People who've listened to the show for a long time remember that I, I was excited about Apple Music. So was I. But one of the things I noticed when I first signed up for it is all of my stuff that I used to have in iTunes Match that I'd not used for about two years because I'd desubscribed from iTunes Match was all of a sudden there in the cloud again. And I think that's part of the problem is that Apple Music's syncing, um, sort of kind of music syncing, is is somehow is some sort of subset of iTunes Match, and I think they've got that wrong. I think they would have been better to uh, just replicate that as a separate service. And I think actually what they should have done is they should have killed iTunes Match. They would have 
they would have taken some heat from it, probably not that much, because I don't think that many people use it. But you know what, I think they should have said, well, well, now it's transitioning from that to this, and after this period of time, um, we won't take any money off you for iTunes Match anymore, um, and uh, we will be wiping our data from your servers, so make sure that you've got a copy of everything, and... Um, you know that that would have been the way to do it. Instead, what they did is they tried to kind of people don't understand. You know what is this stuff is it on iTunes Match? I I would be very interested in a number of people who have subscriptions to both iTunes Match and Apple Music because I bet there's quite a few of people am. who don't realise they've signed up for one or the other. I am. In fact, I went into uh, iTunes last week, David, and I turned off my auto subscribe to both. Yeah. But that and that was before I got rid. I purged Apple Music from my Mac. Yeah. Look, here's the thing: it's not too late for Apple to write this ship, but to write this ship means to kind of start over. You don't have to change things so radically that you have to rebrand it or anything. You just come out with an Apple Music app, and you come out with a new iTunes, and it completely separates the mm-hmm. two for both iOS and macOS. Yep. Don't just throw a Band-Aid on here. And that's what they're going to frickin' do, David. They're just going to try to Band-Aid yep. this thing to save face, to save some money, instead of doing what's right. And that's probably one of my biggest gripes with this new Apple, is they just try to slap Band-Aids on and pretend that the problem didn't happen. And I'm just mm. I'm tired of this. This is my well, think, music. This is stuff that I ripped yeah. from CDs many years ago. That's just gone because they had no respect for my files, for what I owned. And then, oh, well, well, there's going to be a fix. You know, one of the biggest proponents of Apple Music to begin with was Jim Darrymple. You know, he wrote a lot of articles about, and he's a music guy. They invited him to Apple to discuss this problem. Most people don't yeah. get that kind of treatment. And even he said, I'm not using Apple Music. I've deleted it. I've wiped it. It's gone. Yeah. And and they even told him they don't know everything that's going on with this. They don't understand why this happened. So they're just going to yeah. frickin' band-aid it, pretend it didn't happen, take no responsibility for it. I I smell a class action lawsuit, to be honest. You're, you're deleting people's files. You can't do that. Yeah. You can't yeah. do that and expect to have no repercussions. No, I completely, I, I don't disagree. I think actually it, it's more fundamental than that. I think Apple needs to take a long, hard look at about how it does software. I agree. I think the focus of their engineering effort for software is on the operating systems. And, you know, that's, that stuff is all very important. We all love the new upgrades and all of that sort of thing. But I think the stuff outside of that needs just as much engineering effort. And I just don't think he gets it. And, you know, it's unacceptable for a company of Apple's size and success and with the cash in their bank not to be able to um, apply the right resources to, to, to do software more effectively. They should spend as much time and effort on the software as they do on, on the latest MacBook Air yeah. and the latest and iOS do iPhone that. device. They, well, they obviously don't. It's a second-class citizen, and people are starting to get sick of it. Yeah, And the biggest and loudest online fans are the ones that are really starting to voice their displeasure. I, This has to go back to Tim Cook. It really yeah. does. 
But the problem did start here under Steve Jobs. But as the leader of Apple, Tim Cook has to refocus on software because software was what made the difference between a Mac and a PC for years and years and years. Because all told, it's a, it's a laptop, right? It, it may look nice and it may be put together better, but at the end of the day, it, it's a screen, it's a slab with some keys on it. Uh, an iPhone is just a piece of glass with a backing on it and a button. It's all software. You can't ignore to the level that Apple has been the software aspect. And until they write that, you know what? The Cinderella ride is going to be over sooner rather than later because people are just going to get sick of it. Because if somebody else comes out and does software right, Apple will start losing customers. They just will. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And look, and look you look at you look at what's happening in the uh, tablet industry at the moment. You know, this is this. It's starting to become more than oh well, the, the uptick is just around the corner now. Consistently, the iPad is is not is not growing sales. No. Uh, and and the, I think what that illustrates more than anything else is that a great piece. And don't get me wrong, the current iPads are fantastic pieces. Of I love iPad. mine. Yeah. But at the end of the day, a, piece, a fabulous piece of hardware only goes so far. It's not clearly what's happening in the iPad market is that as as great a piece of hardware as the iPad is, it doesn't do anything that you can't do for much less money, or that you can't do with one that's four or five years old. Yep. So people just aren't bothering to replace them. Yep. You know, you know I, I spend a them. lot of time with my iPad reading. I could do that on a on a Kindle for a quarter of the price. Yeah, quarter of the price. So, I don't know. I I think there's some institutional problems at Apple that needs to be addressed. Uh, is Tim Cook the leader to do that? I don't know. You know, all I see is them touting this new music service that, as far as I'm concerned, is a colossal failure. They're not getting my money for it. Uh. New laptops with one frickin' port, which just I'm still not happy about. You know, I don't see... When's the last time we saw a, a keynote that focused on a piece of software? You know? Well, yeah, you, you get you get the operating system ones, but... But um, that's operating but system. I'm talking... Yeah, I remember used, the Steve Jobs to... keynote with GarageBand, with iMovie, yeah. and with iPhoto. Yeah. You don't see that hardly at all anymore. WWDC showed the new Photos app. It's not any better than iPhoto. It's just not. It takes as long, if not longer, to load on my machine now than the old one. It screwed up a whole bunch of my photo albums. Um, I think that it's a cleaner interface, but that's about it. They, they cleaned up the interface, and that's it. That's all they did. Half the time when I plug in my iPhone iTunes, or I've got it auto set to, to launch Photos app to import the photos, right? Half the time it won't. It do, iPhoto just doesn't, or well, iPhoto, well, Photos yeah, doesn't launch. I or if it I does, think, it doesn't yeah. even show the connected iPhone. The I, only uh, workaround is yeah. I plug in one of my other 30-pin devices, iPhoto sees that, oh, I keep seeing iPhoto, Photo sees that, and then it sees the new iPhone plugged in. Oh, look, this is connected too. It, it ticks me off. Yeah. It's little stuff like this that Apple is completely ignoring that is just going to, to push me to use third-party software for the same thing. I finally just turned on the uh, the feature in Dropbox that will automatically 
suck out any pictures anytime I plug in my phone. And that works perfectly every time. I plug in my phone, Dropbox says, oh, we're importing seven new photos. Or so, I didn't so, see so anything. Here's th- yeah. So here's the thing on this. So Because I actually had this with a colleague at work this morning because she had the same problem. She said, she said, how do I get... We, there, was a, there was a company night out last night. She wanted to get the photos off. She said, how do I get photos off my iPhone? I've plugged it in and, and it's not asking to import the photos. So I said to her, I said, well, I said, let me have a look at your device. I said, I said, you've got iCloud Photo Library here. Just go to the website and the photos will be there. And she went to me, she went, oh, wow, this is amazing. It's really good. But I think that's the problem with photos is it's designed so much around that that everything else has been pushed to one side. They don't design it or expect people to plug in their devices with a cable and import those photos anymore because it's like, oh, it's all going to go through the cloud, which is fine, except... There are times you want to do that. There are times you want to be able to do that. And you and, can't just... And, and I don't trust Apple's cloud services because they've been abysmal since they got into this. It still, it still doesn't work right half the time. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I found that, that the photo... I, I photo... Whatever it's called, photo cloud library. I found that to be fairly reliable. I've not had any problems with it. But, um, you know, that's just my personal experience. I actually think it's one of their more solid services. But the problem is, is that you can't, uh, you can't beef up that side of it and, and then having something as simple as, as plugging a cable in not work properly. That's right. I'm not happy about it. Although Apple is doing some cool things. I, I, look, I, I'm still going to be buying their products because I still think that they're overall better than what's on the PC side of things. Yeah. But I like what they're doing with this Apple Camp right now. So, so my son just finished doing this this week, and and I thought I would mention it on the show because it really is great. It's a great thing, and you have to know about it to get onto it. Um, so, what what Apple Camp for Kids is is they run this in the resource stores every year, uh, and for a period of uh, it depends on from store to store and program to program, but normally either three or five days. Your kids go into the store for an hour and a half, a couple of hours every day, and they get to uh, use the Apple products. They get um, shown by uh, uh, by Apple geniuses how to use GarageBand, how to use iPhotos, uh, how to use iMovie, uh, to be creative. Uh, and then basically the idea is it's like a camp. So they get, they get I mean, they get swag, they get T-shirts, and they get um, USB drive and, and a hat and bits and pieces. But it's really about letting the kids use these products to be creative. So they're encouraged to make a movie or perhaps create a piece of music or all of these things, then put it together. And then at the end of the camp, parents go in and they get to see a, a kind of what all the kids have done. It's a really, really nice thing to do for the summer holidays for any kid who's into that sort of stuff um, and has ever expressed an interest. The trick is to get onto the, the waiting list for it. Because obviously, as you can, you can imagine, you can't just walk in and sign up for this. You have to be uh, booked in ahead of time. Yeah. And so um, I've put the link here in the show notes. So, um, and it will be in the show notes all... for 220, by yeah. the way. Yeah, that's right. So they're already taking, t- uh, taking um, notifications for when it opens for 2016. So um, I, I, anybody who's got kids who might be interested in this, uh, I really recommend you go and sign up. You'll get an email for when... Um, sign up for the camp is open i think what they do is they adjust the size and the quantity of sessions based on demand so um 
you know, you, have, you if you if you respond to the email in time, you've got a good chance of getting your kid on it. They'll have a great time. It's a nice way for them to spend a few days over the summer holidays doing something different rather than just lying in bed <laughs> and watching me watching TV. Um, you know, to get out and do something real, something they'll be proud of. They really get a kick out of it. Uh, Alexander was very enthused by it. He did a, a really nice video, um, and uh, perhaps in the next couple of weeks we'll get him on to talk about it because uh, awesome. cause it was pretty cool. So yeah. before we wrap up here, you've got, I don't know if you want to say this for another show, um, how long the discussion is, what you want to talk about, but crowd crowdfunding and or Kickstarter, Tears and Broken Promises. What is that? Well, I'm going to tell this I'm going to tell this story because uh, I've been wanting to, to bring this up on the show for a long time. Kickstarter, I think, is... Uh, <laughs> it, well, it is broken promises. I think that's what it is. Um, there's a lot of great stuff on Kickstarter, and I've backed probably 10 or 12 projects now. Now I go into it with my eyes open. I go into it recognising that these are often people who have, have an idea but probably don't know how to manufacture or run a business. Um, I don't put large money down on Kickstarter programs for that very reason. I know some people will plunk down a few hundred dollars on um, all sorts of cool-looking tech gadgets. In my experience, a lot of times those you will be disappointed with what you get out of a Kickstarter project. It will be late. Um, it will often be different from what was promised. Um, and, you know, a good 50% of the time, it just doesn't work properly. Um, I think... Kickstarter as a concept is great, but I think the reality of it is that it allows people who probably a lot of the time shouldn't be in business to get into business. Uh, and I think that's a, a very weak recipe for a consumer. I think people assume with Kickstarter that you're placing an order for something and you're going to get exactly what's described. And they get very upset when that doesn't happen. So I think, you know, you really need to be wary of Kickstarter. But the reason I wanted to, to bring this up is that Kickstarter has, has led to a, a much more in, insidious scheme, which is basically crowdfunding without telling anyone you're crowdfunding. And this one I did get bit by. Um, and uh, I wanted to tell the story of the Waytools Text Blade, which is something that I ordered back in January. It looks cool. And I, it, it, it looks extremely cool. Basically, the idea is, is this is a, a portable keyboard. Um, and the idea is it's little strips of keys that you kind of take apart. They all magnetically click together. And then you have a little battery and control thing on the bottom that allows you to um, that allows you to, to type. It's, it's tiny. Um, it kind of stacks itself up. It was a very, very interesting looking solution to the portable keyboard problem. And so this was something, yeah, I, I looked at it and, and I thought, this, this, this does look interesting. Um, I'd like to buy one of these. So that's what I tried to do. Well, I went to the website and I placed an order for one because it was a proper professional looking website. And the website said, order one now, $99. We are shipping in February. This was in January. So, you know, this did not have the look of vaporware about it. They had product details, they had reviews, they had uh, kind of different offers and that sort of thing. So I placed an order, my credit card got charged that same day. I think it was $129 all in for uh, international shipping. And I waited. Uh, and I got a very comprehensive order reference where you could click on any time and it would tell you where your order was in build and that sort of thing. So I go to the website and I look and yes, my thing is ready to be built and all this sort of thing. 
and I waited and I waited and I waited. We're now in August and nobody has received one of these things. So despite it's been eight the fact months. Eight months, they took money off us in January. And if you look through the website and you look through what's the order process, they've gone through some iterations. They've said they had a production problem. They said they, they had to change some of the design. They're currently saying that they're rewriting the firmware because over-the-air updating for the thing is not working properly. Effectively, what it is is this is crowdfunding without telling you you're crowdfunding because they've taken the $100 off each uh, pre-order and they've been using that to build these things because they don't exist yet and they're not finished yet. And yet, uh, back in January, oh, well, you're going to ship in February. This was a product that was ready to be mass-produced and was just going to be coming out. And, in fact, th- it's clear that they hadn't mass-produced them, they didn't know how to mass-produce them, and they still haven't been able to mass-produce them. And so I, I cancelled my order this week. Um, and to be fair to Waitles, they are very good about cancelling orders and giving people their money back. That's one of the things they are good at. Well, they probably have but, a lot of experience. Uh, exactly. You look on their forums, and the, you know they, they they're, they're terrible at communication. They they get very snippety when people complain. There's been a few people who've complained on the forums saying nobody's telling me what's going on and everything like. That, and they've had their orders summarily cancelled yep. without requesting a cancellation. Um, now those people have got their money back, but I think it's even to the point now. You look through the forums on their website, and some people have said. You know, I'm I'm complaining about this and everything, and then they put a tagline on the bottom saying, "I reserve the right to cancel my own order at the time of my own choosing, and do not do it for me." I mean, that's how bad it's gotten. They take criticism very badly. There's all like, "Oh, well, you know, we're doing our best, and um, you know, it, it's important to to do things right, and we want to make sure you get the best products and everything." It's like, but I paid you a hundred dollars in January for the thing you said you'd finished in January, and and this. This and if they would get in front of that, yeah, you know, it doesn't cost anything to set up an iPhone, hit record, shoot a video, and post it on YouTube and put the link on your website once a yeah, week but the to let people know what's they, going on. Yeah, they would have, they wouldn't have had the level of orders. The reason they won't do that is they don't want to admit that they're crowdfunding it because they know that a pile of people will cancel. At the moment, they're not necessarily. That it's all how you out. handle it. I guarantee you, if if I was there, you wouldn't be getting that many cancellations if if that was the case. It's all how you handle it. It's all how you handle your customers. I agree. I agree with that. And I I think they've handled it very badly. I think they've been much more frank frank and open. Even people who feel they might have been duped. Uh, and, and said, well, hang on a minute, I thought you were a legit company who already had these things ready to go, and now you're still developing them. I think a lot of people would still hang around to see whether it worked or not. Yep. Um, I think people are getting extremely annoyed with the fact that they won't get in front of it, and they continue to say, oh, well, it'll ship. And there's been an awful lot of, oh, it'll ship next month. And then next month rolls around, oh, yeah, well, it'll ship in the uh, next few days. And then, oh, yeah, well, actually, we've got another delay, and it's going to be another month. There's, there's been an awful lot of that. Um, and, you know, at this point now, I actually don't have any faith in them being able to deliver the thing that was promised, which, again, I would have known if it was on Kickstarter and I would have uh, measured myself accordingly. But uh, what I object to is, the, is this model of saying, well, if we're going to crowdfund, we can just basically make out like the thing exists today. And when I won't tell anyone they're crowdfunding, at least in Kickstarter, you've got some protection. With this, if this company goes under tomorrow, people don't get their money back. That's right. So I guess at the end of the day, it really is buyer beware. 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm of the opinion now that I wouldn't drop money on anything that I haven't seen an independent review for. They've had journalists in there. They've even had journalists write. They've had they had somebody from I think it was Mac Stories or or Matt World or something uh, actually write up a story about the production delays, which obviously was trying to be damage control. Yep. But uh, you know they're just not being honest with their customers, and they are their customers because these people have paid money in good faith for a product that doesn't exist. Buyer beware. Yeah. So with that, we're going to wrap up Tech Fan number 220. We invite your feedback. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. We will read your emails right here on Tech Fan. If you want to visit our show page and find links to anything we were talking about, including uh, the Windows 10 privacy issues, uh, Lenovo's anti-theft feature to install persistent crapware, uh, of course, David's link for Apple Camp for Kids. That's one that if you have kids, uh, keep that handy. Um, and, of course, Way Tools. So you can see exactly what David was talking about. Simply go to techfanpodcast.com, scroll down a little bit till you find show 220, and you'll find links to all of that right there on the page. Dave, David, thank you uh, for being here this week, man. It's always a pleasure. 